G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. Good day, everyone. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast. This is the Round 12 Preview Edition as we move into the start of the buy rounds. Just six games this week with uh, half a dozen clubs having a week off. And again, unfortunately, uh, the whole box and dice being um, thrown all over the shop thanks to the uh, spike in COVID cases in Melbourne. Boy, there's been some fixturing issues uh, this week, which we'll talk about very shortly. Uh, this podcast, as always, proudly brought to you by Palmerbet. Play the punting advantage this footy season. Always remember to gamble responsibly. As I say, very good morning to my co-host, uh, Mark Fine. We're all over the place, Fine. Can you keep on top of it? No, well, I mean, it's a good indication. Even our wonderful sponsors, Palmerbet, can't give us a full set of odds for all games this round because we still don't have six official venues. There's sort of best advice, isn't there, and common sense. But if the bookies aren't betting on it, if Palmer Bet hasn't put the price up, then we, we don't have an official venue for all games. Well, as we record this, which is uh, early on Wednesday morning, we have five of the six games locked in in terms of venue and time. The one remaining to be confirmed is the Adelaide-Collingwood game, which is scheduled for Adelaide twilight on Saturday. But um, as we record, uh, the Magpies still to receive the dispensation from the South Australian government to fly in there. We think that will happen. Um, so we can be reasonably confident that will be the case. But, you know, who'd have thought like a couple of years ago that uh, this close to a round we'd still be trying to work out where and when games would be played. It's just a, it's a, a brave new world, isn't it? Not a world we're necessarily happy being part of. No, and it's sort of come in, in stages, hasn't it? Because if you would have said a couple of years ago, that because of a virus, we've had to move games around. You would have thought that thousands are dying in the street. That's not the case. But we do know it could be the case if the state governments and federal governments played footloose and fancy free like some of their overseas counterparts have done. So whatever the sacrifice is for a football club, consider that small dice or small cheese or whatever it is compared to the big picture. Have you been vaccinated yet, Fine? No, June the 22nd, I'm booked in. Oh, that's right. You did tell me that. Yep. Well, uh, everyone out there too, if you are of the age where you can receive a vaccine, make sure you go and do it because that will prevent us having too many more of these hideous lockdowns. And uh, this is the fourth one we've had in Victoria. I think it's getting to us all. I'll tell you what they're finding in these... Oh, just, un- on, just on the vaccines... I was thinking maybe, you know, you don't get these things very often. I should go to somebody with expertise in administering such things. And who would that be? Is Stephen Dank busy at the moment? Ah, yeah. Let's not talk about him either. (laughs) 
Uh, well, in these uncertain times, you do need certainty. And uh, one place you can always find certainty with your uh, eating requirements is the best hamburger joint in the universe, Finey. You know what? I want to talk about the joint for a second because it's dawned on me, having looked around the streets of Melbourne, there's quite a few new hamburger joints and they're sort of designer made by probably some you know, a team of, uh, of art and design experts to look like, to recreate the 50s, the 60s, the diner look, the hippie groove look, et cetera, et cetera. They actually ship in paid for um, sort of faux memorabilia that they stick on the walls and the ceilings to make them look like these places have, you know, are from that time. Well, if you're looking for somewhere that actually has been through those decades and many more, Andrew's Hamburgers doesn't need to pay for fake stuff to stick around their their location at 144 Bridport Street. They have been around for 81 years. That that makes him a treasure worth visiting, even before you wrap your hands around one of their magnificent burgers. It, it is really a famous business, and be party to it. You know, be proud that Melbourne has a famous establishment that has been this good for that long. It, I'll tell you what, if it was overseas, if it was in America, there'd be one of those TV shows in, in there every week. You know, we're at the Great Andrews Hamburgers, and and that should be the that should be what people how people treat Andrews, it is famous. We'll have to do the podcast from there live one day uh, as soon as we uh, well, get out of lockdown, maybe. Uh, I'm also uh, thinking about the greatest home renovations in the universe, Finey. Uh, they could do a TV show from these beautiful homes as well. Rowan, I ran foul with Nick Bartels during a couple of days ago because he heard the jingle and he said, why is it West Point property having a jingle to the Collingwood tune? That's a good question. Well, I had to think very quickly on my feet, and all I could come up with was because, of course, Scott Pendlebury's got a home with, <laughs> with and he said, How about Dyson Happel? So here we go. So your property values go up, up by using the West Point team. Whether it's a Renault or you're starting from scratch, West Point have the properties that others can't match. Yes, the value goes up, up as the completion date nears. They only use the best you are wise to invest with the West Point team. Thank you, Nick Bartels. Yeah, it's marginally better than your rap song a few years back. <laughs> I'll give you that. Uh, all right, interesting stuff. Maybe we can have a different club song plugging West Point properties <laughs> every well, week. Got, imagine doing it with Freo. Yeah, or the maybe not. Property, <laughs> now, now I think about it. Uh, <laughs> and another great partner of this show, of course, Stats Insider, a sports and data-driven industry leader, providing model projections and analysis for more than 15 sports across the world, including this year's French Open, as well as the European Championships in the round ball code kicking off next week. Boy, there's going to be a few sleepless nights in this house, I can tell you. They simulate an event 10,000 times to best understand both the range of possible outcomes and, and the probability of each result. Along with their famed pre-match and in-game projections, Stats Insider is also known for its full-season forecasting, which now has the Brisbane Lions as premiership favourite. 
Stats Insider also home to some of Australia's best independent sports writing and analysis. Everything on there is free to use. So check them out at statsinsider.com.au and give them a follow on Twitter at Stats Insider. And after you've given them a follow on Twitter, you can come to my account and abuse the crap out of me if you're an anti-vaxxer or some other whack job conspiracy theorist. And uh, you serve them up to me and I'll duly dispatch them over the boundary line with a few expletives to boot. All good fun on social media. All right, I think that's all our uh, plugs taken care of, Finey. Uh, Plenty going on in the footy world. Let's talk about it. On Footyology Newsfeed. All right, we need to start with uh, the most important stuff going on in football, and that, unfortunately, is COVID because it is a backdrop to pretty much everything that's going on, certainly the actual games that uh, we're trying to get played. Uh, Fortunately, uh, we have the buy rounds coming up, and that has offered the AFL a little more flexibility in the scheduling. But, uh, gee, it's been a tough road this week, and uh, incredibly, almost as we record this, there's still one game which hasn't been locked in in terms of the venue or time. But so far, we have seen the big Friday night clash between Melbourne and Brisbane, which was scheduled for Alice Springs. That has been moved to Sydney at Giant Stadium. Still the same time slot, Friday evening. Um, St Kilda v Sydney was originally scheduled for Marvel Stadium. That one now at the SCG. And the beauty of that is that there was a return clash due in round 21. So those two dates have just been swapped. Round 21 will now be the return game at Marvel. Uh, Carlton West Coast was supposed to be at the MCG. That one now also at the SCG. I hope the SCG can cope with the increased uh, traffic. And uh, Adelaide Collingwood, uh, scheduled for Adelaide, 4.35pm Saturday afternoon. Uh, Like I said off the top, the Collingwood people still waiting on confirmation or, or permission from the South Australian government to get a dispensation to fly in and fly out to play that game. So all over the place, Finey. Um, and as you pointed out, uh, it's it's also on the fly that uh, there are some games we haven't even got proper odds for. Um, How has this affected the play? Do you think last year's experience means that everyone's on board with it and pretty sort of relaxed about it? Or could this really knock around clubs more than we uh, fear? No, I think the players are acutely aware of, well, they know last year away from home for a long time was problematic for some players and for some clubs. So they've taken steps to get assurances from the AFLPA that this is not repeated. And I think that has happened, but we have to understand that it is a very different competition from most world sporting competitions nationally, held nationally. Of course, most of them are soccer, but there is also American sports in that this AFL was born out of a VFL. So we have a very lopsided number of teams coming from one state. And that is what requires heavy lifting when that state goes into lockdown, as we've seen in two consecutive years. Yeah, it's a good point because, um, you know, there's plenty of domestic competitions where flying is required. But, uh, yeah, few with so many teams based in one part of the country. 
Um, so that's certainly, and the size of the country obviously adds a bit to the uh, equation as well. And the size uh, of the teams on the lists. It's a lot easier to move a basketball team around than it is an AFL team. What, uh, I mean, look, as we record this, uh, the Victorian government expected this morning to extend the lockdown here. It was due to end midnight Thursday evening, but now being tipped to go at least early next week. Do you, uh, there, there is a growing feeling that we're, uh, we're going to come to a halt at some stage. What do you reckon? I've got confidence that, um, especially with the understanding that slowly but surely we are getting vaccinated uh, chunks of the population, especially people in things like um, hotel quarantine. I'm confident that this runs extra days, not extra weeks or months. I'm, I'm hopeful. Well, uh, one reason the AFL need to also be hopeful that's the case is uh, you mentioned the player situation and there has been uh, a fair bit of disquiet on the part of players about what may be expected of them. And I'm not sure if people are aware just how much, um, not just sacrifice, but how much they had to adjust their lives last year. I mean, the hub arrangement last year, they were initially told it wouldn't be longer than 30 days. Uh, in a lot of cases, it ended up being 100 days. You know, so three times as long as they originally told. There's no way they would be able to facilitate something like that again. And uh, the players have been pretty blunt in saying that. They have, however, been reassured. Uh, apparently, players received an email from the AFLPA last night to uh, reassure them that the AFL didn't have ex- an extended hub arrangement on the agenda. But... Again, that is at this stage. And, um, you know, if this latest outbreak flares up and uh, government spokespeople have said that we it might get worse before it gets better, um, who knows? Like, it's just the uns- it's the air of uncertainty, I think, which is unsettling for the players as anything. I think they're, like a lot of us, creatures of habit. And, um, you know, it's easy for players without children, for example, but, you know, people... They don't have their partners with them at this stage. Um, That was one, I guess, allowance made for them last year. That's not happening at the moment. So I don't blame them for getting a bit cranky if they're asked to extend uh, their current arrangements longer than beyond this weekend. So we have to wait and see what happens there. Um, Rowan, last year we had a big break after round one. And teams then went into lockdown and into hub, sorry into hubs. What a couple of weeks after that, or uh, maybe three weeks after that. But basically, seasons were still alive. Very hard to encourage teams right down near the bottom of the ladder and their players to get all enthusiastic about hub life when th- the season's already a write-off. Well, I think North Melbourne last year was a pretty good example of that. I mean, they uh, their performance just fell through the floor and, uh, you know, in the end, the coach uh, pulled the pin, you know, and it certainly wasn't good for his mental health, uh, talking about Reece Shaw there. So, um, yeah, it's it's something they absolutely have to consider very seriously. All right, let's move on. Basically, uh, I'm saying start the season again. Come on, let's all go back to zero. No, I'm quite happy with where <laughs> things are at the moment. All right, let's move on. And uh, the 
political drama at Collingwood uh, shows no signs of abating. In fact, it's about to ramp up significantly because after a few weeks of shadow boxing and, uh, you know, whispers and informed commentary about what might happen there, uh, potential Collingwood president Jeff Brown has officially thrown his hat into the ring. So, uh, Jeff Brown, if you're not uh, to clue in on where he's from. He was the AFL's uh, legal advisor for decades. Uh, in fact, I think, yeah, when it was the VFL, he was on board there. He ran Channel 9. Uh, his background is in the TV industry. Um, he's not doing that now. Uh, funnily enough, he's a very, very close friend of the recently departed Collingwood president, Eddie Maguire. Who'd have thought? Um, so Jeff Brown has announced his intentions. He's going to try to avoid the disruption of an extraordinary general meeting by um, sitting down and talking to new pre or incumbent president Mark Corder and see if a peaceful transition of power can be organised. Uh, Jeff Brown has a ticket put together. They are seeking four of the seven seats on the board. So uh, that would obviously give them a voting majority in whatever they're trying to accomplish. Um, and uh, basically, I, almost the most interesting thing to me, Finey, is how this campaign is being conducted. Unlike a lot of these presidential or, or attempted board coups, um, this one actually has vested interests inside the media, which would be reporting on it. So uh, I would say, to be perfectly blunt, that Mark Corder is toast because he's got no one in the fourth estate on his side and uh, pumping his ties up. And Jeff Brown seemingly has much of the media, uh, i.e. Eddie Maguire, um, on his side. It's very interesting that the official announcement or his intention was made official in the Herald Sun exclusively. Um, the Age has been forced to do a bit of a write-off of that story without the first-hand information. And uh, the Herald Sun had so much info, they in fact carried a copy of the entire statement made by Jeff Brown. So it looks like the Herald Sun's going to be Jeff Brown's PR armour. Obviously, Eddie McGuire has ties in there. He's got connections with the Herald Sun. He's written for them. Can't remember if he still does or not. He'll probably be editor in five minutes. But uh, it's all a very cosy relationship and it makes it very, very hard for the other side to... Uh, have a hope in hell, to be perfectly blunt. My big reservation about this, and I'm not trying to dump on Jeff Brown here. He's, he clearly has uh, a great knowledge of and experience in a lot of the areas um, in which a football club president would need it. But my reservation as a Collingwood person would be, were I a Collingwood person, would be that he's just too closely aligned to Eddie Maguire, to the extent where even in the reporting of this announcement, uh, Mick Warner wrote the story, he speculated about an informal role for Eddie Maguire. So, I mean, they're being quite transparent about it. Does anyone seriously think for a moment that Eddie Maguire's fingerprints wouldn't be all over whatever Jeff Brown did? It's almost like, a, I mean, someone did speculate on Twitter, a puppet government. Well, and might be doing Jeff Brown a bit of a disservice, but I don't think there'll be much that that administration does that Eddie wouldn't um, be approving of or they wouldn't seek his approval on. So how much change will it actually force? 
The other comment about this is someone uh, said to me on Twitter last night that as a Collingwood person, their concern was if it, if that is the case and we are just seeing Maguire Mark two, you know, is it still going to be, I guess, characterised by that, uh, the quote was triple M 90s feel about it. And that to me is a big issue because, I, you know, we've, we've talked about Eddie a lot this year. And I think one of the problems with Eddie is he's a bit out of touch with how the rank and file supporter and fan operates and thinks and feels these days. There, there is a, a real push still in the football media that still thinks it's the 1990s and that Channel 9 and Triple M and the likes are huge concerns and that everyone's hanging off every word they say and we're all in their thrall. I'm not sure it's the case anymore. Anyway, they're, they're my thoughts on the situation. How do you see it? Part of me says it's a bloody club presidency battle. I don't even know who most of the presidents are. I don't know how they've got there. They might have got there by murdering the previous and paying off everybody in, in you know, in money shot. But um, the other part of me says, so on one hand, I couldn't care less. The other part of me says... Good, I'm glad is, I spent five minutes talking about it. Then. No, no, no. The other part of me says this reeks of cronyism, um, you know, secret handshakes, nudge, nudge, wink, winks, playing footsies under the table at the president's lunch. There'll be a bit of nepotism because I'm sure Tom Brown will get involved here at some point in time. Uh, we and as you say were, at this point that Tom Brown is Jeff Brown's son. Uh, as you were um, re- re- sort of explaining the situation, describing Mark Corder as toast, I was at the very same time picturing Susan Sarandon and Sean Penn in a scene where, of course, a dead man walking comes to mind. Look, the fact is that Jeff Brown will become president of Collingwood. Mark Order in articles written, and I don't know why Robbo puts his name to this, to be honest. So Robbo writes an article where he just reminds everybody about the bit of the sort of muck up with that appointee, the lady who can't vote. And also, you know, some disquiet, just, you know, rumblings. He's become very much one who would favour the term Palace Insider if he was writing about the Royals, you know, unnamed disgruntled people that may or may not exist. I don't know why he's doing Collingwood's, you know, bidding. Jeff Brown didn't have Collingwood as far as the rest of the football world's concerned. You know, they've got to rebuild player-wise. And once again, personalities off the field become bigger than the players on the field. And that must infuriate, you know, Collingwood supporters. Seriously, have a look at the headlines over the last couple of weeks, whether it's Jeff Brown... Eddie Maguire, Nathan Buckley, or unfortunately, Joffa. You know, I mean, I want to say unfortunately because of the alleged crimes there and unfortunate for the victim. The, you know, makes it hard for poor old, you know, Mark Keane and, and Finlay McRae to get any oxygen at that club as these young players apply their trade. Too much time's taken up with other idiots. So what can the supporters do about it? Nothing. Uh, you know, as I say, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. <laughs> when you've got the Herald Sun working for you and, you know, Eddie Maguire's pulling the strings and 
what can one supporter do? <laughs> go to the go to the AGM and be a, be an idiot. The, Collingwood will do what Russia used to do. You know, Russia is a pretty closed shop when it comes to voicing public opinion. But you are allowed to go there in Red Square and stand on a box and wrap it on, say whatever you want, because they just say, "Look, we let people say what they want." Of course, they're portrayed as being completely insane. So go to the AGM and be insane. You know, you'll be allowed to have your say. You'll be nervous when you say it. You'll stutter. You won't get what you're prepared out. And they'll make you look like an idiot. It's all, the, the script's been written. Jeff Brown will be the next president. Eddie Maguire will have his say. Tom Brown will get the scoops. Mark Robinson will get a bone in his, you know, in his bowl tomorrow night for dinner and life will go on. <laughs> what is he, a dog? <laughs> no, well, they, they treat the journos like dogs. You know, throw them a few treats and they'll go out and bark on your behest or even growl or bite if need be. They've been doing this for years. Yeah, well, yeah, well, that's, that's yeah. I mean, it's always been the case, to be honest. But uh, whilst we're pursuing that theme, I did want to touch quickly on, you know, we've talked again a lot on this show about clickbait and uh, taking the punters for idiots. And the level of it is just getting outrageous. And By the I, way, I go to the website go to the website now for nude pictures of Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine with supermodels. Yeah, no, don't do that, whatever you do. Um, and uh, you won't find any anyway. But uh, I, I got my dander up yesterday and tweeted appropriately. And social media now, the football accounts and uh, this one was footy online but they were tweeting stuff from the previous evening's footy classified which I now refuse to watch but uh, Kane Corns um, Mr Shock Jock of the football world he just he's going to new levels Kane so the uh, suggestion apparently on Monday night was that Essendon should go out and get uh, Harry Mackay and Ben Mackay at Carlton and North Melbourne, respectively, because they're brothers and they barrack for Essendon and Essendon's got room in the cap and, you know, Carlton and North will just say, oh, yeah, okay, no no problem. So, I mean, it's just preposterous sort of scenarios that could never happen. On the same show, he apparently uh, had Jack Rewalt pensioned off at Richmond so the Tigers could hang on to Callum Coleman-Jones because... The latter played a pretty good game last weekend, and they don't want him to get pissed off if he has to go back to the the VFL. And and there's an account on Twitter in there called Fake Footy, which mimics Fox Footy and just throws up all those sort of preposterous scenarios. And it's getting so sometimes it's hard to tell the difference. And it's just ridiculous. So I, I retweeted the Footy Online tweet about what Kane Corns had said and just said, you know, how about you cut this crap out? and stop treating the punters like morons because the footy public finally has had an absolute gutful of it. I know I have. I don't blame Kane Corns. I, I think you, you've got the cart and the horse the slightly wrong, wrong way around. No, no, you hang, know hang on a sec. Well, hang on a sec. I'll clarify that. Yeah, I'm critical of Kane for doing it because he's a willing participant. I'm more critical of the shows and the media organisations that are happy to have him do that for, through the most transparently cynical motives. I mean, give your audiences a bit of credit for having half a brain. We're not all complete idiots. I don't think those comments are necessarily pre-planned. I don't listen to his show, but they could be thought bubbles on the back of phone calls. I mean, you know, Mackay, Mackay to Essendon is ridiculous. Who did he throw up as the trades? 
or was it just uh, you know, John, John Coleman? John Coleman, apparently he's you know, over but, his knee injury and he's ready to go. Yeah, but, but seriously, was it on the back of a rambling discussion about, you know, teams that players buried for when they were young, blah, 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 blah. What I don't know, Fanny. I told you, I don't watch footy classified because I like to watch shows that actually talk about football. Yeah, I'm saying, I, I wasn't watching. What happens is, you know, they, Kane Corbin said something. He's the most famous, but others do it as well. And they're all in the one stable. So they all maybe work for Craig Hutchison. There's not that many stables out there. You know, you've got Craig Hutchison, you, you know, Eddie Maguire's too too busy with his punch and duty show maybe to be having a big effect this year. So let's go with Craig's three-ring circus. And they've got Kane on radio, Kane on TV, Kane on whatever. He, he just talks, blah, 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 blah. And he doesn't talk all that well. He could do with some elocution classes, given how much exposure he gets. Um, he could be a bit more polished. But let's just say he just talks and says things about footy. And then you get young producers who look after these shows on Tuppence Haypenny and they're forced to write in bullet form what the headlines are or the highlights. And then that'll be passed down the line and somebody at a newspaper either wanting to be part of the three-ring circus or already part of the three-ring circus, maybe, in, you know, working in another guy's somewhere for Craig Hutchinson goes, yeah, oh, there's stories here. Good, I'll keep that thing going. You know, they, that'll keep Kane relevant. And uh, I'll just make a headline. What will the headline be? So I'm going to make a headline and we'll take the next King and Lloyd incident, which was pretty minor stuff. Corn's scathing over Saints snub, Lloyd snub, you know, a bit scathing, Kane Corns. I read it. He wasn't that scathing. He just said, you know, the, the people at St Kilda might be worried about their own jobs, a bit of insecurity, whatever. Um, but you can make it sound whatever you want. How is that a news article? What, what, what news cycle did that become the story in? So that becomes the story. And you know how it ends up, because it is cyclical, it ends up with Kane Corns almost commenting on that. He forgets that it was about him and it becomes this cycle of tripe. Now, the fact is that when the Three Ring Circus is the only show in town, as we're quickly getting with Craig and his ever-growing, you know, multi-tentacled super octopus of media in football, which is great for Craig Hutchison and Pacific Star and whoever he works for and the shareholders have seen the price skyrocket of their shares from 31 cents to 29. Hang on, that's not skyrocket. That's the other way, whatever that word is. But the fact is that we're not getting any real football news. Football has been drawn into the vortex of fake news, clickbait and crapola that is basically weighing down the internet and has turned the internet into a giant piece of basically an enormous tool for the de-evolution of the human race because it just makes us dumber and the world is being rapidly filled up with idiots. And the AFL has slipped into that vortex comfortably. And I end this by saying that Kane Corns is the perfect person to be part of that because he's an idiot. Yeah, no, it's uh, well, a fairly uh, articulate rant and most of it I agree with. And uh, de-evolution is an interesting concept. I watched a, I am a big fan of Devo and the band and uh, I watched a really interesting documentary about them a couple of weeks ago. They were ahead of their time in uh, forecasting this uh, de-evolution of the human species. But well, mate, just... we are de-evolving. There's no question. If, if, 
if there is motivation to put on the internet, which is viewed by billions of people, um, stories about Kardashians that take 40 minutes to read, apparently, because the pages come really slowly, yet people do that, then within three generations, I doubt not only will we not be able to build skyscrapers, but our our future seed, our generations to come, Rowan, will not be able to do up shoelaces. Well, the world will have blown up by then. I don't think we need to worry about it. This is a very upbeat, positive sort of discussion. Let's move on because we're not about all that crap. So let's actually yeah, that's right. We concentrate to, we... on the footy. So last thing we'll talk about in Newsfeed this week is some actual football and it is the mid-season draft, which is uh, taking place this evening. We, of course, are recording this on Wednesday morning. Uh, well, I guess by the time you hear this, there's a chance it might all be done and dusted. But as we record this, uh, the number one pick is expected to be, that goes to North Melbourne, it's expected to be used on 202 centimetre Sandy Dragons forward Ruckman Jacob Edwards. Um, apparently that's been Ridiculous locked in for choice. some time. Terrible was a, choice. Was it? Because Tristan Zeri can't get a game and he's dominating in the VFL. They've got a All forward right. ruckman. Okay, and uh, ex-AFL players who may be given a second chance. Well, Tyson Stengel, of course, started at Richmond, went to Adelaide, uh, given the flick there after some off-field indiscretions. Tip to maybe find his way back to Richmond. Riley Knight, former Crow, he may bob up somewhere else. Other names which have been thrown around. Uh, Wiley Buzzer, the terrifically named Wiley Buzzer, who's been playing at uh, Werribee. Uh, of course, his last port of call was Port Adelaide. Uh, former Adelaide forward Jordan Gallucci showed a bit at times. And um, a guy who's uh, we'd like to see his luck turn, former Collingwood St Kilda midfielder Nathan Freeman. He of the chronic hamstrings, but uh, been going okay at VFL level and uh, may get another shot. So uh, we await to see the fallout there, finding. I don't know about the mid-season draft. I'm a big believer in fate determining partly of uh, a, a football club season. And if you get a lot of injuries, so be it. You need to prepare your list well enough uh, pre-season or cover all bases enough so that if you get a run of injuries, you're not left without um, one particular type of player. Oh, yeah, I agree. But, you know, part of me says if anybody... If any group of people are a fan of the midfield draft, it would be those of the Essendon persuasion because Will Snelling is the best example thereof. That was a Freudian slip. You said the midfield draft. Yes. Well, he's a midfielder. The mid-season draft. Um, having spoken of three-ring circuses, I would love to see Jordan Gallucci get another spot on the list. Hopefully he brings his dumbbell set with, you know, his barbells with the round dumbbells <laughs> on the end of it. Obviously, I'm referring to his... Pre nineteen hundred strongman mustache. Um, I'm, I'm glad you did the explainer this time instead of me. I'm sick of having to explain your jokes. <laughs> you know what? I don't know how great a night it is, really, bro. And with six hundred and two nominees, you're going to have twelve happy people and five hundred and ninety very disappointed people. Then again, that's the thing killed a post match function, and they have them every second week. So bring it on. Oh. You got to stop dumping on your own club like that, Fanny. Show them some support in these tough times. So you didn't watch the last three weeks, including yeah. the win against North. 
yeah, no, I did. They're, they're pretty in pretty ordinary shape at the moment. All right, that's enough news for this week. We have half a dozen games to preview in depth. We're going to do that right now. On Footyology, previews with Punch. The first game of round 12, originally scheduled for Alice Springs, now being played in Sydney at Giant Stadium. It is at 7.50pm Friday evening. It is Melbourne v Brisbane. Really intriguing clash of two very, very well-performed teams. Uh, the Palmer Bet odds, uh, of course, Palmer Bet uh, playing the punting advantage this season. Always remember to gamble responsibly. You can check out updates on these odds too at their app or at palmerbet.com. But uh, these odds current as of Wednesday morning. Melbourne, uh, favourite for this game, paying $1.76 on the head-to-head Brisbane paying $2.08. Really intriguing clash, this one. Really looking forward to it. Two sides playing a great brand of footy. What are Stats Insider saying about this game? Well, the Demons have won the hitouts in all 11 of their games this season. Brisbane have won the hitout count just three times. A quick note on this brilliant Melbourne defence, in particular, Jake Lever. He ranks top five at Melbourne, for total marks, contested marks, contested possessions, one percenters and rebound 50s. Yet it's his intercept work which is most remarkable. So far, he's amassed a competition best 123 intercept possessions, which to this stage of a season is the best number in recorded history. Certainly he and Stephen May, uh, a wonderful tandem there in defence for the Demons. What's happening at selection with this one, Finey? Well, as you can imagine, with two powerhouse teams as they are this season, there's only really going to be forced changes or players coming back. So one of each. Leicester will return, I believe, Ron Leicester for the Lions. Madden will be the unlucky player to go out. That seems a straight swap. Ed Langdon can't play. He came off only three minutes to go in that win over the Bulldogs, but with concussion, which means he's out. Um, So they... Could use Tom Sparrow, who was the sub. Nathan Jones is fit again. They're both like for like. Certainly not in the hair department for Jones v Langdon. But don't expect to see Ben Brown come back in. I don't think they're going to tamper too much with the balance on that forward line at present. It'll be give Wiedemann a go and then make your decision, I reckon. Yeah, it's, gee, I'm finding it hard to pick a winner in this one. Uh, the head-to-heads of recent times are interesting. Uh, Brisbane have won the last couple of meetings. Melbourne won the four before that. And Brisbane won the five before that. So they've tended to go in waves. As far as form goes, well, uh, you can't fault the Demons' form. Just the one loss so far. On the other hand, the Lions have got uh, seven wins in a row, most of them pretty emphatic victories. Where, where are you going uh, on this one? Well, is the venue of interest for you? I know that you do place quite a bit of store on venues and this is an unusual one. Um, so I look to you for some advice there because I too find it very difficult to split. The For me, I, I was happy to tip Melbourne last week because at the coalface, their work inside was always going to disturb Footscray's sort of daisy chain of possessions that is so damaging when allowed 
to go unattended to, for especially right. at the first first offing, you know, at stopping uh, Brisbane are no such sort of um, shrinking violet in that department, not with Zorko in hot form and not with just their real nose over the grindstone type attitude this year. So does the venue say anything to me? Does it yell anything? Well, Brisbane, it's certainly not one with which Brisbane are familiar. They played uh, Geelong there last year and uh, didn't get thumped, but they lost. And that was their only game there in the last four years. Okay. And, it, and in fact, they've lost their last six at the SCG, and that's a run stretching back uh, more than a decade. So their form there isn't fantastic. As for the Demons, well, uh, they've had their issues there as well, to be honest, although they did win their last game there against the Swans a couple of years back. They lost the three previous to that. So neither of them uh, have fond memories of this venue. Maybe uh, that has influenced me. It is a ground you do need to play at. Even Melbourne not necessarily playing well there has more exposure there. I don't think either team would say we are looking for a smaller ground to play on. They cover the spread very well at both their home venues and at large, large, you know, large grounds. So I'm going I'm to go with Melbourne, not just because they've been more familiar with the ground, but also because... They have won all by one game this year for a reason, and that is, and not necessarily playing perfectly in all of them, they know how to find the finish line. I know Brisbane's in an absolute purple patch of form, but I think Melbourne, because I think it'll be close, might nose them in a close finish. That's my my gut feeling, anyhow. So give us a margin. uh, I'm an odd man, aren't I? Three points. All right, well, uh, I'm with you. I think this is going to be an absolute nail-biter. And uh, similarly, I'm going for the Demons by two points. Let's hope it ends oh, up as... You get me like on sale, on um, Price is Right, always bidding $1 underneath me. Oh, okay. Yeah, there's a flashback to my youth. Uh, All right, so we're both going for Melbourne in that one. Should be a fantastic game and, of course, we'll be talking about it post that game on Footyology Final Sir on our live stream, which you can access on Twitter or Facebook 1045 after that big clash. Let's talk about Saturday. First game on Saturday, it is between Sydney and St Kilda. This clash, of course, originally scheduled for Marvel Stadium, now flipped around and it is at the SCG. So that probably puts a markedly different spin on how it might pan out. Uh, the Palmer bet odds, we have them. We did say off the top we didn't have odds for this game. Well, they have come through, the boys at Palmer bet, right on the ball. So well done, guys. The head-to-heads for this game, Sydney. Uh, a warm favourite paying $1.37. And the Saints, definitely the outsider, paying $3.12. Stats Insider, well, they tell us the Futures model has the Swans a 73.7% chance of playing finals this season, while a Saints win last week only raised their September prospects to 15.2%. Sorry, 19 0.2%. I was selling them short. That 4% can make all the difference. One for the Callum Mills fans. In his first 92 games as a Swan, he had eight matches where he accumulated 25 or more touches. 
He's achieved those numbers in eight of his first 11 games this season alone after that move into the midfield. He's also leading the Swans for tackles and score involvements. Unquestionably, Callum Mills is one of the most improved players in the league. What's he got to go around him this week, uh, Finey? What are the Swans doing at selection and the Saints? Uh, Picky back. He had a bit of a sort of a, a knee, just to check him on a knock to the knee. He's okay. And he's much better in the ruck than Callum Sinclair, so it's a big improvement. Uh, I know they liked playing Fox. He was out last week. But I thought Caden Brand played pretty well. They may or may not pull the trigger there. And that leaves Nick Blakey out of the team again. He might be the medical sub, but, you know, watch that space. That's an interesting one. I, for St Kilda, don't think they make too many changes, only because, you know, <laughs> they've won last week. And they're going to lose games. If you're making changes when you win, you're just creating an absolutely wildly swinging, revolving, you know, revolving door or saloon doors. And that's no good for anybody. So Hunter Clark in for mine. And the first game of Oscar Claverino has tasted league footy and now knows what's expected of him. If he gets another go, he's out. Uh, we can talk about this game and sum up St Kilda's chances very, very quickly, and they're no good. On, on one hand, they are playing with no confidence, as evidenced by their goal kicking. The big problem at St Kilda is when players have lost form or gone into a rut, they have not turned it around. Barclay's battle. He's the only one I can really say is lifted noticeably. Other players are in a blue funk and staying there, which means they go into this game with Max King out of form, with Nick Caulfield out of form, with Hill, Butler, Higgins out of form, and others. I just, what's the use? Anybody bar two or three. Still memory and battle, maybe, and Ryder. So, on the other hand, Sydney, now competition for spots is high. What's good for them is they had pretty slow starts. In fact, very slow starts against Collingwood and Carlton. Didn't panic, reeled them in, won the game. If not with a leg in the air, then with... You know, enough comfort against Carlton Collingwood, who actually are better than St Kilda at the moment anyhow. So there's no version of this that I can spin for a Saints win. Sydney by a, sometimes you can thrash a team by this margin, a thrashing, a 35-point 30, thrashing. Yeah, I uh, I agree. Um, if form, uh, the respective form of either side wasn't enough to lead you in the direction of the Swans, which it is, um, history certainly isn't on the Saints' side either. They did beat the Swans' last meeting, of course, that game at the Gabba last year, so that's a bit different. But prior to that, Sydney had won the previous 10 meetings between these two clubs. And the other uh, bad omen for the Saints is their record at the SCG, which is pretty lousy, it's fair to say. So lousy, in fact, that they have won just two of the last 15 games they have played on the SCG and the last of them was back in 2009 believe it or not and that by a solitary point so it doesn't augur well for the Saints I really like the way the Swans are uh, well they started off with youthful excitement uh, their senior hands now are leading the way and playing some great footy and as we mentioned thanks to Stats Insider Callum Mills uh, an inspired move to the midfield. That's had a fair bit to do with it. And Hickey back 
just completes the equation for them. So I think they'll have a pretty good win here. I'm going for the Swans by 30 points. Uh, three games on the Saturday. Let's talk about the middle one. Second game on the Saturday menu. It is in Adelaide. That now has been confirmed. We've got lots of breaking news uh, this week uh, since we started recording this. That uh, fixture has been locked in. So at Adelaide Oval, 4.35pm Eastern Standard Time, it is Adelaide taking on Collingwood. Uh, Palmer Bet telling us that the Crows, this won't happen too often this season, but the Crows starting favourite playing $1.47 on the head-to-head. Collingwood offering $2.70. Stats Insider say two bottom four clubs with the league's second worst attack, that is the Magpies, pitted against the league's second worst defence, that is the Crows. Um, to focus on a positive, however, Lockie Scholl is the only rising star eligible player in this game with at least 200 touches and 50 marks, while also doing so with a rising star best, 88.4% time on ground, having played every game so far this season. He's certainly been a plus for the Crows. So has Harry Schoenberg, um, pretty promising couple of young prospects for the Crows. Uh, what about a selection finding? Collingwood, been speculation about what they can do, but uh, I reckon the loss of uh, their big ruckman might be pretty costly for them. Yeah, I think that's really where most of the focus will be. He hasn't missed a game since 2017. Brady Grundy, of course, playing Adelaide, a team that sort of forced Collingwood's hand to re-sign him for seven years. So there's a few subplots there. Uh, Max Lynch could come in. He's a big 200-plus centimetre ruckman, which they all are nowadays for his debut. Jamie Elliott is right. Uh, and Thomas, Josh Thomas, will be back into the team. I expect Callum Brown to make way, along with Grundy, and possibly Magden could go out of the side as well. There's Wilson. Uh, they've got some youngsters there. I think they should just leave them alone. We saw how well Trent Bianco seemed to slip into AFL football. He's a high possession winner in the VFL. I like this game against Geelong. Not an easy team to debut against. Adelaide, no change, Your Honour. I know they didn't beat Richmond, but I thought they were very good, as did most others. Uh, Collingwood have two problems before they can win a game. One, they've got to absolutely consider a more direct route to goal than the one that they employed against Geelong and tend to have in their DNA. And the other thing is when they get it down there for a shot at goal, they need to convert. Two big ifs. And Adelaide will not make either of those easy because they're a good pressure team when they put their mind to it. They're putting their mind to it more often than not. And also, well, they won't affect their goal kicking necessarily, but they have their own firepower, which I think can match the pies in that department, led by the Evergreen, where have you been all my life, Taylor Walker? Adelaide for mine by 21. Well, a little bit of encouragement here for the Pies. Um, Their record against the Crows and at this venue is pretty reasonable. They've won their last three games at Adelaide Oval, all against Adelaide. Um, Yep, 2018, 19 and 20. And uh, they um, have a pretty reasonable record against the Crows per se. In fact, uh, the Crows haven't beaten Collingwood 
since 2016. So uh, I don't know. I've just I've got a sneaky feeling the Pies might actually find something. Is it enough to make me tip them? Probably not. So uh, I'm certainly sticking with the home side in this one, but uh, with a little bit of trepidation, I'm going to go for Adelaide by 10 points in this game. What say you? Well, I've got the Crows by 21. I'll say this, that my fear for Collingwood is that they can play well, but they're never going to be more than two goals up the way they score at the moment. Mm. And I do like Adelaide's firepower as shown in that, fantastic win over Melbourne. They did rattle on some goals at the end. So Collingwood just can't get far enough ahead anymore. All right. So both going for Adelaide there. Finey by 21 points, a little bit closer for me. Adelaide by 10. All right. Three games to be played on the Saturday and a pretty big one on Saturday evening. Well, it's a big occasion on the football calendar, the annual Dreamtime game between Essendon and Richmond. Sadly, for a second year, it won't be played where it was supposed to be. Uh, Last year, of course, played up in Darwin, which actually had a certain magic all of its own. Certainly not downplaying that. This year, it's going to be played in Perth, where the Bombers have remained all week after um, beating West Coast over there and a terrific win for them last Saturday evening. And uh, ticket sales have been really good, actually, as we record this. Uh, They've accounted for already about 50,000 of the capacity uh, 60,000 stadium. So it is going to be a great atmosphere regardless. Plenty of Bombers and Tigers fans over in the West. Uh, Good support for most of the Melbourne clubs over in the West, a legacy of uh, the days of the winners and the old VFL replay being uh, beamed into households in WA. Palmerbet tell us on the betting front that uh, the Tigers are favourite for this one. They are paying $1.47 and the Bombers are paying $2.70. Essendon now has, according to Stats Insider, a 34.5% chance of playing finals this year. That is the Stats Insider model's fifth strongest number. No, it's not. It's the ninth strongest number. I'll tell you what, one thing I'm becoming increasingly aware of is I need reading glasses. Boy, it's getting hard to read. Wow, that's tragic. Uh, There's been a lot of talk about how to beat Richmond this season, and in particular focused on opponents' ability to get down and dirty. While tackling is Essendon's clear strength, it's imperative you're also packing an ability to win both contested footy and the clearances, which is something we're not able to say about the Bombers just yet. They rank 16th in both those stats from a differential point of view. Darcy Parrish, the only Bomber consistently generating elite numbers in those areas. In fact, he's generating elite numbers in all areas. He's having an outstanding season, the young blonde-haired midfielder. Uh, what about selection, Finey? Any issues to the Bombers or Tigers? Well, um, last week I asked you whether the Zerk Thatcher was worth persisting with ahead of Francis. Francis is available. I think he has to play, though, experience and even mobility. He seems a quite a good matchup for Rebolt, actually, for mine. Mm. So, yeah, I think he can play. Okay. I, wouldn't be, I wouldn't be making too many changes if I was Essendon. That'll do me. 
Uh, yeah, well, into one guy they might consider. I mean, Richmond have leg speed to spare. That's not necessarily a strong point for the Bombers. Uh, Will Snelling, I, I like Snelling. I think he adds something, but I'm just wondering if they might think about the extra pace of Braden Ham, who was the medical sub last week, but uh, didn't get on at any stage. So that might be another one. Uh, I think they might miss Peter Wright too. He's set to miss again with a, a calf injury. Uh, I wonder if that might leave them a little bit uh, short in the forward setup. The only other thing is, is Draper ready to come back this week? Maybe. And do they pull the trigger and bring him back? Richmond have a problem in the ruck themselves. PCL injury for Nan Curvis means he's out, but he doesn't need to be replaced like for like because, as we saw, Coleman Jones playing so well. He can go into the ruck. They've got Mabio Chol and Marlion Pickett, the strange pink fit rucker that ne- ruck that never loses a hit out. And Shane Edwards is due to come back in. I think that'll do them for changes. Well, what a pity it's not at the MCG, bemoan Essendon and Richmond fans, but there is certainly something that says Dreamtime game at the you know at uh, Optus Stadium in Perth is not a bad place to hold that game because of the strong influence of Indigenous footballers out of WA and West Australian champions that have played for both clubs. I'll say this, that Essendon, Boy, oh boy, I'm tempted to pick them. You know what? I will. Here's a team that had a great win there last week. And that was not impossible to have because of their good form this year. But their form now seems to be parlaying and sort of working on itself rather than a step back with a loss. I like the fact that they've been able to stay in Perth. That's good. That must help them. I like the fact that Richmond have had to get the band back together. And the last week, Cochran was good, but Prestia was not. I'm not sure that, you know, uh, they throw Edwards in as well. That means that there's not a lot of games that midfield has played in the last few weeks, to be honest. And Essendon's midfield is going brilliantly led by Parrish. I know it is a leap of faith, but you couldn't help but be impressed with the Red Sash in their effort over West Coast last week. And that sort of pluck can win them the four points against the, you know, a heavyweight up against the ropes. It's a huge call to tip against Richmond, but hey, eventually, you know, the king is dead, long live the king, maybe this weekend. Well, you have Essen, got a, you Essen, have got a few... I'll give you a margin. Essendon by 11. You have got a few tips to make up, so uh, worth a punt. Uh, look, two reasons, uh, as much as I'd like to, I can't tip Essendon for this. Um Richmond just knows how to handle Essendon. They've won their way. In fact, the last time Essendon beat Richmond was back in 2014, believe it or not. Ten straight wins the Tigers have had over the Bombers. Most of them not by a heap, but comfortably enough. Um, The other thing is, I I reckon in the last quarter last week, uh, you started to see a bit of the old Richmond or the Richmond we've come to know. And I think that hit out will do wonders for... Cochin was pretty good anyway, but I think it'll do wonders for Prestia and for Bolton as well. So I see their midfield having sway there. I think the Bombers will give it a really uh, decent shake. Don't worry about that. I'm not going for the Tigers by a lot, but I am going for Richmond by 12 points. That is the three Saturday games. Uh, Let's talk about what's on offer on Sunday. 
The first game on Sunday, not till mid-afternoon and at a different venue to originally scheduled. Uh, Carlton playing West Coast. That was supposed to be at the MCG. Now at the SCG, 3.20pm. Palmer Bet saying on this one, the Blues are starting favourite against West Coast. Boy, you wouldn't have expected to see that not long ago. Uh, Carlton paying $1.78 on Palmerbet. West Coast paying $2.05. That is on Wednesday morning. Of course, if you want to see the updated odds in the lead-up, download the Palmerbet app or head to the website, palmerbet.com. Always remember to gamble responsibly. Stats Insider issues its weekly reminder that the Eagles have beaten just a single top eight team this season while they continue to be a deplorable fourth quarter outfit. In fact, they're now three eight in final quarters, which is the worst number in the league. Their points differential for fourth quarters, in fact, is 71 points in the negative. They have had some poor finishes to games. It's actually been 19 years since we've had a team finish dead last in last quarter performance and still make the finals. That was Essendon in 2002. That's an interesting stat. I think West Coast's uh, last quarters are definitely an area of concern. Speaking of beating top eight teams, Carlton is now zero and six against the top eight this season. And one of just four teams still waiting to get their first win of the season against a top eight opponent. So it doesn't all go well for either side. Maybe this will be a nil all draw. Uh, What can we expect on the selection table, Fanny? Well, West Coast lose two biggies. Kelly and Allen, who went off during the game against Essendon, will not be playing. Harry Edwards and uh, possibly Xavier O'Neill to be their replacements, with Witherden still affected by a groin. Carlton expect Zach Fisher back. They also know they won't have Michael Gibbons. Straight swap there, hamstring the problem for Gibbons and an ankle still needs to be cleared off at the last training session for Carlton. You know what? I'm quite confident in my tip in this one, Rowan. West Coast have a history of getting into disappointing form in recent years in certain seasons and not shaking the malaise. And I can't see them with Kelly and Alan out and having to trek over to the SCG where Carlton played against Sydney with some merit and getting a result. That is a forward line now that with Kennedy and Darling, still very dangerous, is not easy, is not as easy to work for the drop of the ball players, Ryan and Cripps and Petrocelli at that venue. I know this as an absolute fact. Take this as you can bank on this one that Carlton with Cripps playing better in the midfield, and we know that Walsh has been a great player this year. They've got the midfield advantage because West Coast midfield, no, sure, we know Kelly and not much else. You know, no, you don't win there without midfields, Rowan. I am, you know, I'm going to tip them. I'll tip Carlton. I'll say Carlton by seven points. Yeah, it's uh, look at, uh, well, they're favourite with Palmer bet. So uh, that says enough, no, doesn't it? Of course. Say it again. Yes, of course. I mean, that that is an indicator. Yeah, well, uh, a couple of things. I'm going to go the other way and a couple of reasons why here. 
Uh, Carlton's record at the SCG is pretty appalling. They've only won two of their last 16 games at that ground. Um, of course, they do have the advantage of having played there just last week, so that might count for something. They haven't been too great against the Eagles either. They haven't necessarily lost by a lot, but they have lost their last six against the Eagles. Last time they beat West Coast was back in 2014. One thing you've got to say about the Blues, though, they have been pretty... Um, whilst they haven't been getting the wins, they haven't been blown away in any week. In fact, they've lost seven games, but not a single one of those defeats by any more than 28 points. So they've been close enough. It's just... They're unable to reverse opposition momentum. I think that seems to be a bit of a feature and their skill level has worried me all year and I thought it was particularly costly for them last week. Uh, I understand the bookies making the Blues favourite um, and I think West Coast have been incredibly disappointing. I'm, I'm prepared to say they cannot win the flag this year. I just don't think they're going to get into a high enough position on the ladder but I do think they're ready to show a better side of themselves because the road thing for them is becoming a real, real issue. And uh, I think they'll be getting sick of it. Uh, it's about time they dug in and showed a bit more mental resilience, I think. And I think this is a good starting point for them. I don't say that with any particular confidence, but I think they are the more talented team. I think even without Tim Kelly in the lineup, uh, it's a good time for them to show it. I'm going for the Eagles to win this one by six points, uh, which leaves just one game to be played in the abbreviated round 12. Final game of the weekend. It is over in Perth. Uh, this one actually is as scheduled. I'm not sure the time was initially scheduled, though, because this is pretty late on a Sunday, certainly on the Eastern Coast, uh, 6.40 p.m. start Eastern Standard Time. That's 4.40 in Perth. Fremantle taking on the Western Bulldogs. An intriguing clash, this one. Uh, the Doggies, of course, came up short against Melbourne. They did have a really good win on the road recently. That was in Adelaide, though. Perth, uh, maybe that's harder again, even against the Dockers. Be interested to see the poem a bit odds on this game. They do have the Bulldogs still a pretty warm favourite on the head-to-head, -head, paying $1.37. Fremantle is paying $3.12. Stats Insider say that in the Bulldogs' only two losses this season, they lost both the contestant possession count and the marks inside 50, which is actually two areas the Dockers this season have performed reasonably well in. So that's something to take on board. Their 143 marks inside 50, this is Fremantle, is the league's third best number, courtesy of Matt Taberner and a now healthy Rory Lobb. While the Dockers rank fifth for contested disposal differential and are one of just two sides to get the better of the all-conquering Melbourne in that particular statistic this season. Certainly food for thought that when you make your selection uh, what about selection? Finally, does that throw up anything which may uh, tip a tipster in either direction? Yes, Fremantle, welcome back. Beauties at either end, Griffin Logue and Matt Taberner. Uh, Spatowski has, a, I think, a bit of a hammy problem, a leg problem, anywho. And Duman will be Duman to go for Logue. As for 
Melbourne only uh, Bulldogs, pardon me. Uh, the reason I said Melbourne is because their two Edens are ex-Melbourne players. Stefan Martin is back. And he's an important in for the doggies, so Sweet will go by the way. So and poor Riley Garcia, you know, we love a good debut, don't we? But we sort of sweep under the carpet the not-so-good ones or the unlucky ones. And he got concussed very early, which means not only did his debut sort of end prematurely, but he also can't be considered for a game back in his home state because he's a West Australian and he's unavailable. Expect McCannon to come in, the former demon. You see, I love watching Fremantle. You don't. Hard not to enjoy watching Fife. He plays the game differently to other people. He's a super physical beast. He goes in, like in these horrible sort of stacks on the mill, dead ball situations. He gets the ball before the umpire, except he doesn't ball it up. He runs away with it. Sometimes he's got the opposition players still attached to it. It's great watching him. It's sort of like watching a Godzilla movie. Yeah, in the end, he does fall over sometimes and, you know, muck things up. And it doesn't always end up well for Godzilla. It doesn't always end up well for Fife or Fremantle. But I think this week it can. Why? Because those two wins are good. And I think Lobb has just, you know, not solely but surely, he's actually now in mighty good form. He was great last week. And I think Tabner before you know, getting injured the week before. He's been in good form. Well, he's top five goal kicker. Walters, a slow burn. Still not right. He had a snap last week that he would have gobbled up in previous years. Come on, Michael, come to the party. Monday stays good. The midfield now with Chera and um, Sarong joining Monday and Fife is powerful. And I've been singing Darcy's praises. The back line looks better. As for the doggies, their back line is still a concern to me. And I think Lobb and Tabiner are the men to take advantage of. Yes, I'm quite confident here. Fremantle by 20, 20 uh, I'll go 19 points, 19. Okay, yeah, that's, uh, that is a brave selection. Look, Fremantle, they just frustrate me because I feel like we've been saying the same things about them for the last 25 years since they came into the competition. They rely too heavily on the senior players. They waste too many opportunities. I mean, they're kicking for goal. Their conversion this season has been an absolute disgrace. And I think of the um, lesser members of the 22, you know, look, there's some really good young players, don't get me wrong, but there's also quite a few that make sporadic contributions and are in and out of the team a fair bit. Um, And they're up against a really good side. Look, it's pretty easy for everyone to sort of say, oh, gee, the Bulldogs were ordinary last week. Yeah, they were ordinary, but they've also been pretty damn good for uh, nine and a half of the other 10 games, nine of which they won and uh, half of which that other loss against Richmond, they controlled pretty handsomely for half the game. The, the one thing that does concern me about the Bulldogs here is their record at this venue. They actually haven't won a game there. They've only played four there, but yet to break the ice, uh, that's two defeats to West Coast in that time, two defeats to Fremantle. But three of those losses have been pretty handsome. So, yeah, look, tipping Frio, perhaps it isn't that brave a selection now I think about it. But um, I just think the Bulldogs are a quality team here and they're not the sort of team that will drop a couple in a row, albeit uh, a difficult assignment over in Perth. I think Fremantle will certainly push them deep into this game and that's why... The margin I'm going for is similarly small. I'm going for the Western Bulldogs to win by eight points. 
So a couple of different tips for you and I, Finey, in the last three games of the round, as a matter of fact. Uh, ooh, could get interesting in our tipping race. Uh, that is round 12 previewed. Uh, that, of course, was the best part of this show. We all know what it's about. It's about nostalgia. Let's do it. <laughs> Well, I've got a uh, good one this week, Finey, and I know the other week you came up with the selection to keep Hawthorne fans happy in these dark times for them. Well, North Melbourne have been doing it pretty tough uh, this season also as they rebuild, um, but uh, they are a proud club which has had some great triumphs along the way. One of my favourite North Melbourne memories is actually a home and away game back in early 1985. Now, I remember this because I was listening to it on the radio. Why was I not at the Essendon game that day? Well, Essendon had played Hawthorne a week before the start of uh, the season for everyone else, plucked out as a grand final rematch towards the season, which meant that both Essendon and Hawthorne had a bye that week. So I just kicked back, listened to the footy on the radio, decided to listen to this game, and boy, was I rewarded because this was an incredibly high-scoring game, which for the best part was goal for goal. In fact, so high-scoring, an aggregate of 44 goals in this game, each side finishing with 22 goals. Really amazing finish. Uh, North Melbourne coming home like a train incredibly late in this game. And by late, we're talking post 30-minute mark and great commentary to the old Channel 7 duo, Peter McKenna and Jack Edwards. Jack Edwards, of course, a former North Melbourne player. And uh, they got suitably excited at what was to unfold. It's great audio. Let's have a listen to it. He looks from McClure, who's up high. And the mark, not paid, called play on. It comes out of the pack towards Tony Fury. He takes the mark on half forward. Hand passes with a long hand pass to Jonas. Jonas goes for a short pass into the half-forward zone where the mark has been taken down on that half-forward line by North Melbourne's McDonald. Hand pass comes back to Ross Smith. He kicks long into toward Glenn Denning. Glenn Denning stands his ground, doesn't take the mark, but kicks the goal anyhow and puts it through for North Melbourne's 20th goal. He kicks his third goal, Ross Glendenning, in the final term since moved to full forward. Carlton 22-13-145, North Melbourne 20-15-135, and the time clock is in excess of 30 minutes now into the final quarter. Well, I'd go as far as to say this is one of the best games of football I have ever seen. It has been magnificent. It's been goal for goal. There has been tough play. There's been skills. There's been a bit of everything in this game. And, uh, well, it's a shame that there has to be a loser, Jack, because North Melbourne, the young side, has been magnificent. Carlton, under pressure, has fought back well. Full marks to both sides. And uh, I, that's why I hate to see a, a legitimate free kick going against a guy like Jimmy Cracker earlier. There he goes again. He's fighting it out. Phil Cracker! He's marked a handball. Here's goal number seven. No, it's not. It's a handball to Glendinning. Goal number four to Ross Glendinning. And Jack, they're back in it. Yes, but I don't think he'll have any time, Peter, because the time clock's 31 minutes into the final term. Only four points between the teams. Carlton leading North Melbourne by that slender margin on seven's big league. What can you say? This is a sensational game of football. What a great effort by the Cracker boys there. They have played well all day. Jimmy Cracker has lifted them round the packs. He's 
ridding of the ball off the packs is unbelievable. And they are not giving up. I thought Carlton were home and hosed. Here we come through Blackwell. Down towards half forward. What a game. No mark. Passmore over to Law. Will the siren run out? Will time run out? Up they go. Nearly a mark down there to Holt. Taken away by Johnston. Here's Fury. He should kick long. He looks for Glenn Didding. No. Dwyer. David Dwyer is marked. It's a long way out from I goal. think too far out, I think, Jack. It's a long way out. He's going for the very quickly. Puts the ball to Booty. Kicks it off. He's put it through. He's put it through. David Dwyer kicks that goal. North Melbourne in front. I can't believe it. Dwyer kicks his second goal. North Melbourne leading Carlton by two points. The time clock, 33 and a half minutes into the final term. How much time do we have on Seven's big league? Well... This is the best game, I'll say, it's the best game of football I have ever seen in watching league football, a sensational game. Two points the difference, the time clock at the moment, 34 minutes. Siren! Siren! North Melbourne have North taken Melbourne the game out. One. North Melbourne have taken the game out against Carlton. North Melbourne, 22-15, 147. Carlton, 22-13, And I just don't believe... Oh, that is... You know what? great game when we ever going to see 22 goals apiece in a game of football and that that's sort of underrated as a late 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 show i i have been printed on my memory because i like carlton losses i admit was what your Essendon did to them of course with the famous neil danaher win on the late 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 show but when you're 16 points down at the 30 minute mark that one should also stand the test of time so i'm glad we relived it well done rowan and I've, I love your footy brain. It's big. It throbs. Sometimes oozes out of your ears. It's so big. They came onto that North Melbourne team like Noah's Ark. They came in pairs. Three pairs of players with the same surname. I think two sets of brothers and one maybe not a set of brothers. But do you know who those pairs were? Uh, well, one of them is pretty obvious. It is uh, the Crackers. Uh, it's sort of a, a, a staple in the mid '80s, weren't they? In that team, yeah. Uh, uh, can you give me a clue on the others? All right, the others, uh, a pair of brothers. One didn't play much footy, but one of the brothers, uh, they both played for North, of course. That that was their careers. One, a great back pocket, very successful post career in the assistant coaching uh, positions that he held. And a bloody good bloke to Oh, watch. Ross Smith. And his brother? Uh, Peter. Yep. Uh, and, and I've got the other one. I've remembered the other one because I did watch the clip and I saw uh, one of the... Uh, there were some pretty high numbers rocking around in that game, uh, which caught my eye. Uh, in fact, uh, I think one of them might have had a rip jumper, but the... Uh, not brothers, but the Robertsons. Uh, Shane and an obvious reason I'd remember this guy, Rowan Robertson. Yeah, one of, yeah, one of the Rowans you can put in your Rowan team of the century. Except there's not enough, not enough Rowans to go around. <laughs> no, uh, no, that's uh, certainly notable. Uh, three sets of the same name. The other notable thing about, or yeah, actually, here's just a stupid self-indulgent story. But I actually ended up at the Carlton ground that evening um, for a function. It was the farewell of my uh, first sports editor son, Jeff McClure, father of Sam McClure. 
who had uh, decided to leave the sun and go and live down in Tassie. And he had his farewell at the Carlton Social Club that night. So I turned up there uh, a few hours after the finish of the game. And Jeff, a big Carlton supporter, had a lot of Carlton supporting friends. So they were suitably subdued after having that game stolen. I do remember that. And um, the other thing about this is that it wasn't the last time that season when North Melbourne did a uh, heist on Carlton because it happened in the elimination final as well. And I'm sure you remember that one, Finey. Terrific game out at Waverley. Was that Shimmer's quarter? The Correct. And Carlton leading by uh, as much as seven goals at one stage in that game. And the Roos also came flying home with an eight-goal final quarter to win by 19 points and knock Carlton out of the finals race. And uh, that one's had a bit of airtime. But, uh, yeah, North Melbourne. Um, and the other game that season, the return clash, Carlton absolutely thumped North by 70-plus points. So Carlton won one game between those two sides big that year, but North pinched the other two. And I'm, I'm sure uh, older Blues fans still remember that uh, with some angst. All right, that's my flashback. What have you got for us this week? Well, I'm going to take us back to 1970 to a famous three-quarter time address as Mr. Football, Ted Whitten, playing his final game. He really played in 1970 to get over the line as the record games player, 321 games, but the captain coach of the Doggies up against the Hawks was urging and stalling, demanding of his players that extra effort to get over the line. And you see today, Rowan, coaching is all about, as, as you know, they try and impart messages on our Gen Zers, is all about um, not raising your voice, but making reasoned, sensible suggestions to young men or women who will not be put out by these suggestions, not offended by them, not embarrassed in front of their peers. And basically, it, it's the modern coach needs to negotiate talking to players like a kid with an ice cream on a 40-degree day. You know, it's, you've got to be very careful. Not back in 1970. Let's have a listen to Teddy Whitten. Not too much in the tactics department, but plenty in the raw emotion and the old look into the emotional kit bag and pull something out for your old beloved coach. Well, Ted, how does it feel uh, to be walking down this lane, approaching the game, for, approaching the ground for your, for your last game? Feels bloody awful, does it? Does it? I don't feel very happy about it at all. Yeah. It has to come, and uh, this is it. The, uh, the skies haven't been too good to us either, really. I said to you at half-time that providing we control the rucks in the air like we were doing, we've got a real chance. In that quarter, yeah, you let their rucks get on top of us a little bit, particularly from the centre bounce and around the ground, which we can't afford to do. You had them in your hand and you've let them out. Now we've got to get them back in there and close it up. They played attacking football. We went negative in that quarter. And you can't afford to. They want attacking purposeful football all the time. And providing you had to kept it up in that quarter, we had a real chance of winning it in that quarter. Now we've got our backs against the wall and we've got to fight and we're going to fight hard. It's going to be a do-or-die effort. It's going to be a determined bit. You've got to show me all the guts and all the determination you've got in your body. You've got to inspire me with this last quarter bit. You've been in front all day and you've got to stay there. Are you going to sit there? Come on, Come on, Come on. Come on. That afternoon, we all got soaked. But, geez, it was worth it. 
to any of the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of telegrams, cards, telephone calls and good wishes that have been bestowed upon me in this last week. But collectively, I'd like to say to each and every one of you, and you are the people that know who sent them, a magnificent thank you. I love you all. I hope you stick with it. Oh, isn't that great stuff? Uh, I think a, a lot of us have heard that a little snippet of Teddy's address to his players at three-quarter time, but that's the extended version. That's pretty good research by you on YouTube. Finding how did you find that clip? You know what? I have not only learned to master YouTube, I've also learned to master the planets that revolve around me, Rowan, and I'm very good at delegating, sometimes even by telekinesis or I'll be honest I had the other version and Rowan who is sometimes down rabbit holes for days on YouTube knew that there was a better one going around so we work in tandem we're a team <laughs> um the one thing that the audio doesn't have that people can picture I love the way he pounds his own fist as he goes from player to player as you know demanding almost physically harming himself in an attempt to get his point across. <laughs> it's great, isn't it? Well, the, I love the interview pre-match as well. It's the 1970, because it was 1970, the 1970s equivalent of the player carrying the Gladstone bag yeah. to the ground, being yeah. interviewed as he's walking into the club. So uh, uh, terrific stuff. And um, what a large, he really was a larger-than-life character. I mean, he certainly was a great media person, not just in footy. I loved him at the wrestling, commentating the wrestling. But I'll say this, um, a couple of lesser-known facts about Teddy. Uh, Captain Coach, I don't think he was all that successful, Rowan. He had one year in the final, 61, where they made the grand final. But 13 seasons, one as non-playing coach, 12 of them they didn't look like making the finals. He was excused for two years of his coaching, 67 and 68. I think that who took over then? Um, was it was a former was it Collins took the coaching or um, uh, yeah one of their ex teams took the reins. But the lesser known fact about the great Teddy Whitten, do you know about the North Melbourne story in nineteen seventy two? No. Well, he was convinced under the ten year rule or, or encouraged in nineteen seventy two. And he trained with North Melbourne pre-season. Absolutely keen, regaining fitness, even in, you know, broaching 40, to play for North Melbourne. And do you know what Brian Dixon did before the first game? What? Informed him during the week that he'd be playing in the reserves. And he turned around to Brian and he said, Brian, I have not played one minute of reserves football in my life and I certainly won't be for a fitful organisation like North Melbourne. And he walked out. Jeez, I hadn't heard that story. Wow. Yep. That would have been amazing. Yeah, he, he, was, he was going to play. It was all cloak and dagger. Um, the media didn't have much of a hint of it. Even though he trained with North Melbourne, there were sessions organised away from the ground. It was the big reveal. But we know Brian as somebody who marches to the tune of a you know, beat of a different drum, don't we? And it was all planned for this big opening. And Brian said, no, nah, he's in the resis. <laughs> Wow, that is a great story. I hadn't heard yeah. that one, I've got to say. All right. Uh, I love the way he said, you know, because they were hopeless heading into 1972 North Melbourne. 
Yeah. yeah, it was great work, great, but he was affronted the North Melbourne and put him in the twos. He said, maybe somebody else, but not this shit bag. To ship for Lorca. I love it, love it. Only won one game for the season, the Roos, yeah, in right. 72. Right. All right, that is it for this week. I uh, hope everyone enjoys their footy. Of course, we are proudly brought to you by Palmerbet, playing the punting advantage this footy season. Check out their app or their website, palmerbet.com. Uh, Palmer Bet, uh, playing the punting advantage. Always remember to gamble responsibly. A quick shout out to our other sponsors, Finey, please. I am so pleased and proud, and I think you are as well, of the quality of our sponsors. Uh, Andrews Hamburgers, 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. Uh, we, of course, would take money from other organisations, but I'm so pleased we're with a legend. And the same goes for West Point Properties, Nick Spartels. What a reputation they have. So, you know, it's they say you are only measured by the company you keep. And we're in pretty good company there. And also proudly associated we are with Stats Insider, sports and data-driven industry leader, providing model projections and analysis for more than 15 sports across the world. They've got a great website. Everything's free to you. So check it out, Stats Insider. .com.au. Give them a follow on Twitter as well, at Stats Insider. And you can support us at the supporter page wherever you're listening to this podcast or on the various Patreon links on the website, footyology.com.au. Check that out if you haven't had a good look at it. Some really good stuff up there at the moment. That is it for this week. Uh, I hope your team has a good win. If they're not playing, Hope they have a good break and maybe you can give yourself a break as well. And uh, we will be back with the review of round 12 Sunday evening. And of course, footyology final siren following that big Melbourne Brisbane game on Friday night. Uh, thanks to your company. We'll catch you next time.